This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. Good morning, everyone. And thank you, Pastor Mark. I appreciate that lesson for my children to obey their mother. Um, we're going to be in First Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter. We finished. So we're in 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. You're going to take a minute to turn there. And um, Peter is going to, in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, give us a very long sentence with lots of commas and a lot of really um, rich text that I look forward to hearing expounded on by Pastor Mark this morning. So Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Soldiering on with worship. Uh, You did a great job. And by the way, there are five more of these. One's in my hand, and Dick has four more in the back. I ordered five more. So if you want a scripture journal where you have the text on one side for 2 Peter... And you have a space on the other side for notes. Raise your hand and Dick will get one to you. Does anybody need one? Want one? There's one over here, Dick, Daniel. Anybody else? There's another one here. I'll put right there. All right. So I've been informed that this may not work. And that's fine. I remember one time when I was teaching public speaking in McEwen and the power went out. And a student was up there giving his PowerPoint presentation, giving his speech. He said... We're going to cancel class now, right? I said, no. This is a great real-world lesson. You're going to give that speech without a PowerPoint. So I'm going to give this sermon without a PowerPoint, possibly. And let's see if this works. First slide. Oh, there, there it is. Wow. You know, we're in basketball season now. I love basketball. Go Heels. And one of the things that you'll hear basketball players say sometimes about somebody on their team, and this is football players too, they'll say, oh yeah, that guy's a dog. Now, they're not making fun of him. It's not a derogatory comment. What they're saying is, that guy gets after it. That guy is doggedly determined. You're going to hear that phrase later in the sermon, and that rhymes. Doggedly determined to make sure he's there on defense. He's getting those rebounds. He's, he's hustling back on defense. He's, he's a dog. He's, you're, you're not going to, it's like, you know, you ever play with your dog and you have a bone and he's got one end in his mouth and you've got the other end of the bone and you're trying to get it out of his mouth. If that, if that dog has really got some personality to him, then, or her, then they're going to not want to give that bone up. So we're going to talk about some of that today. I, as my, uh, my desire is to take these two verses, and sometimes they can be difficult or controversial even, Take these two verses and extract, I think, three main points from them. Number one, we're going to talk about life and godliness. Number two, precious promises. And number three, the divine power. And as always, my prayer is, Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. 
So life and godliness is the first point. And it says his divine power has granted to us a few things that pertain to life and godliness. Nobody's paying attention. Thank you. All things. And the word there for power is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. And I love what Spurgeon said here, divine power. What stupendous issues are grasped in that term, divine power. It was this which dug the deep foundations of the earth and sea. Divine power. It is this which guides the marches of the stars of heaven. Divine power. It is this which holds up the pillars of the universe and which one day will shake them and hurry all things back to their native nothingness. Now, the source of all that we have been given, and we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, the source of that is His divine power. It was made manifest in Christ, as Peter writes in chapter 2 of 1, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. So what has his divine power given to us? And this is written to Christians. It's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now don't sleep on that word life because that meant something perhaps different than it does sometimes for us. We think of life, yeah, I'm alive. Okay, he's given me life. But remember, Peter was writing to a world, a Roman-occupied world, where infant mortality rates were off the charts. He was writing to a society where if you lived past your 30s, you were very fortunate. You made it to 40, you were unusual because the life expectancy then was very difficult. Life was precious. It was valued as a divine gift. Even though the Romans did not know God, they wanted to live, right? God's put it in all of us, a desire to live. The the desire to live is so strong that people will linger for months because they don't want to die. And life is precious. And we have been given as a divine gift. We know that we have one source, one source of life. And that's not the universe. And that's not our own flesh. It's God. God is the source of our life. He has numbered our days uh, before any one of them come to be. So it's a promise here that God's power has given us all things that pertain to life. When uh, Paul preached in Athens... On Mars Hill, he said, God gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And then he says, in him we live and move and have our being. So we have life because of God. And listen, our life is in God. Our life is in God. Second, Peter says he gave us all things that pertain to godliness. And that word can be translated duty. And I think that might be a better translation for it. Now, we think of duty in fleshly terms sometimes. But when, when, again, Peter was writing to believers who lived and worked and existed in the Roman Empire. And the word that he uses here uh, that, that would be translated duty, we don't think of it as merely uh, you know, religious devotion as godliness sometimes is thought of. The readers of this letter would have a much broader understanding of the word godliness or duty. Gene Green wrote a commentary, and it's supposed to be the best commentary on 2 Peter. That's why I bought it. That's why I'm using it to help me understand these texts. And I think probably his is the best, written in 2007, simply because his name is a rhyme every time. It makes me wonder if he wears green jeans, but I digress. But Green wrote, this word 
had to do with showing reverence and loyalty to those to whom it is due. The gods, so-called gods of Rome. Parents, relatives, ancestors, social institutions, and fellow citizens. What was prized most highly among the Romans was dogged determination and an unflinching devotion to duty. So you see what Peter is doing here? He's saying, hey, listen, guys, the divine power, God's power has given you all things that pertain to life and that pertain to your duty, your responsibility towards God and towards your fellow man. And in fact, I like that. We find our self-existence, life, in God and our social existence, duty, in Him as well. So Peter is laying, he's, he's continuing to lay that foundation. Remember we talked about chapter 1 is about our foundation is in Christ, is in God. And of course, Jesus is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our, our foundation is in, in Him. And in every part of godliness and duty, God has provided the power that we need to live, the power that we need to do. For God to be and to do. And may we as parents do all that we can to train up sons and daughters who have a dogged determination and unflinching devotion to duty. Ray Stedman wrote this, All the necessities both for handling life and for manifesting righteousness or godliness, godlikeness in this world are ours. That means that everyone who has genuinely come to Jesus Christ without exception has all that it takes to handle all that life can throw at him. Saints, that's true. That's the truth. You you will never have so much on you that you can say, honestly, I can't handle this because God has given you the wherewithal to handle it. Now, you might say, "This this is too much for me. And God says, you're right. It is too much for you, but it's not too much for me. And I'm in you, and I'm helping you, and you can do this. I've given you divine power to walk through this trial, this suffering, this loss, this grief, this pain, this sorrow. All things, all things he's given us. So how do we access that power? By the way, the first point is the longest. Don't don't panic. Oh, man, this sermon's going to go on forever. How do we access the power? Through the knowledge of him. There it is again. Remember, Peter has already said, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And now he tells us that his divine power is also given to us through the knowledge of him who called us. Where do we find our, our strength and our grace and our hope and, and truth, where do we find it? We find it in Him. We find it in God. Why do we look in other places for that which we can only find in God? And yet, here we are. We look to the pundits and the politicians. We lap up conspiracy theories, which Paul or Peter would have called cleverly devised myths. We linger in our own mind with our own ideas and shrug off those who suggest we take a deeper look at what God has said. It is through the knowledge of Him that we grow up because His divine power has given us all that we need through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. You see that at the end of verse 3? He's called us to His own glory and excellence. Green says the New Testament writers do not linger over the reasons for God's election, 
but rather direct attention to the purposes of his calling. And we are called to God's glory and excellence. And again, the word excellence could also be translated virtue. And again, I believe Peter is appealing to this audience of believers, Gentiles mostly, who are living in occupied Rome. They're part of the Roman Empire. (laughs) He points his readers to glory and virtue, what was paramount in importance to the Roman Empire. Glory and virtue. They talk about the glory of Rome. The glory of Rome was made possible by virtuous acts of men and women and the pantheon of so-called gods that they believed in who acted with honor and courage in the battlefield or in society. But Peter points us, his readers, and them, his first readers, to a different empire, to a different kingdom where we are also called to glory and honor, and virtue, and character. And at the same time, he does not call us to simply acknowledge the glory and excellence of God. He calls us into it. It's what Paul refers to when he writes in 1 Thessalonians, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom And glory. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he said, To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been called to a different kingdom. We are part of a different kingdom. We're living in the empire, if you will, that is not Rome, that is not America, that is not Britain, but is the empire that has one king, and that is the king of kings. And that leads us to precious promises. Then he says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. This is verse 4. By which, by what? Out of his own glory, out of his own excellence, God has given us promises. Now, it's interesting. I read this week. I didn't understand this. But in Rome, in the Roman Empire, promises were thrown about freely and rarely kept. In fact, when you received a promise from someone in Rome, you didn't really expect that promise to be fulfilled. It was just stuff people said to you that they didn't really mean. It's like when somebody, you see somebody at church and you say, hey, you should come by sometime. You show up at their house, they're shocked. They want you to come by? What are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. Well, we make promises sometimes that we do not intend to keep. I'll pray for you, brother, and then we never pray for them. Let's be careful with that one. But even wedding vows today are being written today to reflect the emptiness that some couples think about marriage. They repeat to each other at the altar, not death do us, till death do us part. That's been replaced in many modern weddings with till the love runs out. I will keep you and I will hold you and I will take care of you and I will do all this till the love runs out. Sorry, honey. I woke up this morning just not feeling it. You know what I'm saying? That's when the frying pan comes out, ladies. The apostles go out of their way to assure their readers of the absoluteness and the immutability, big word that means unchangeability, doesn't change, of the promises of God. He's given us precious promises. And those do not change. I love the opening of Titus. Some of you memorize Titus. Maybe we can recite it together here. Paul, a servant of God. I'll probably look. 
and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. The promises of God are honorable because God's glory and excellence are their guarantors. God's glory, His excellence, His honor, His virtue guarantees His promises. They will never be broken. They will never fail. They are great and precious because God is great and His word is more precious than gold and more costly than silver. God never lies. We're talking about that in home group this week and somebody said, do you really think that, that God looks at me and, and, he, and he sees me as, as, as uh, what, what's the word? Uh, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And sees me as well pleased? I, he's pleased in me? I said, God never lies. Yes. You're accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1, we have been accepted in the beloved. That means he's pleased with us. Not because of my sin, because of Jesus' righteousness. That has been given to us. That's a promise that God made and he will never break it. That leads us to the third point and that is the divine nature. This is the, the verse that sometimes people get uh, twisted over. But, but, but Peter says, so that through them, through what? God's promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now again, I think we need to understand the, the context. Peter was writing to people who lived in Rome, and in the Roman Empire, there, was frequent, there were frequent discussions about the nature of the gods we don't believe in, the humans, we do believe in those, and animals. So they would talk about gods and humans and animals, and they would ask questions like, what characteristics could possibly be shared from one class to another? Like, could men become divine? Or could the gods fall and, and become mere men. And those were the discussions that they had all over the place. So Peter says, no, let me take you to a higher place. Let me take you to a higher truth. Not cleverly devised myths. Let me take you to this truth. And that is truth built on God's word. He's not interested in the fantasies of men becoming gods. And that's not what this is talking about. Some people will say when he says, oh, you are a partaker of the divine truth. Then you are becoming God. Or you're becoming part of God. No, that's not what Paul or Peter is talking about here. And that's certainly a truth or a myth and something that could lead you into a very dark place. What he is saying is all men and women in Christ can and will, not just can, will become more like him. We are partakers, and the word there is, Koina, I left out an, uh, an I, K-O-I, koinonoi, you know the word koinonia, we talk about that fellowship. Well, this is koinonoi, it means that we are sharers of God's character. We share in his character because we are being transformed, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world from sinful desire, of sinful desire. We're becoming more like Christ because of this progressive process of sanctification. Every day, believers... You are becoming more like Christ. And that is, it is, it is uh, increased in, in amplitude and speed by you surrendering yourself day by day to the Lord. By you 
walking in this word, by not rubbing poison ivy on your face when your mom says not to do that, by obeying authorities and by obeying the word, you speed up that process that God is going to fulfill in all of us, which is the process of sanctification. It's by God's grace, that power that enables, that we continue to put off the old and put on the new. Now, lest we think of this as some ethereal, spiritual truth that we really can't wrap our arms around, I don't think it's that at all. I think what Peter's talking about here is something we understand very well in a very uh, mundane, worldly kind of application. And here it is. When you practice an instrument regularly, like this young lady up here is doing there, when you practice an instrument regularly and intentionally put off bad habits and intentionally put on good technique, you get better at playing an instrument, right? Can you guys who play an instrument testify to that? Hello? Thank you. If you are in weight training like this dude is doing, he's got some muscles there, if you regularly go up a weight when it becomes very easy for you to do three reps of 10 of the same weight and you go up a weight, what happens, Jeremy? Your muscles get stronger, right? Your muscles get stronger. It's simply a matter of practicing the technique correctly and then putting more weight on it, right? No pain, no gain. So you're going to get better. And listen, children, <laughs> when, our, when our children were little, I got in the habit, we, uh, we, we, were, we would tell them a lot of times, and I would say this, but Cindy would say this to them too, but I remember saying to them, listen, I want you to start doing this. I want you to every day, I want you to go to your mom at least several times during the day and say, mom, is there anything I can do to help you? Changed their lives. Changed their life a little bit too. Because what were they doing? As they began to practice that, their servant muscles grew. But not only that, you know what else grew? Their contentment level. Because if I'm just concerned about just getting what I want to do and doing what I want to do and eating what I want to eat and just having, you know, just life on my own terms, I'm always discontent. Always discontent. But when I'm serving somebody else, I'm thinking about other people, I'm doing something to help somebody else, my contentment level grows. Practice this, young kiddos. Practices, parents. When we read the word, same thing, same principle. When we read the word day by day, thinking, meditating on it, praying those same scriptures back to God, and practicing what we read, our faith muscles grow. And we become more like Jesus. He's making us, by grace, he's making us more like his son. We are being conformed to the image of God. We're moving from glory to glory. But faith increases as we obey and as we walk in his character and put off our sinfulness. You know, I know many of us take supplements um, on a daily basis because there are deficiencies in our diet. There are things in our diet that are killing us. Hello? And that means we lack something important to have strong and healthy bodies. I understand that. Well, the same is true for our spiritual health and strength. Peter's going to tell us in the next verses, I'm just giving you a preview, kind of like at the end of a show, you know, next week on Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Uh, P- Peter's giving us a preview of what's coming ahead. I'm giving you a preview. Peter's already done it. And that is, what supplements do we need to take to build godly character? I have really good news for you. They're free. 
I know the supplements we're taking are free. I'll tell you that right now. They cost some money. But these don't cost any money. They just cost effort and walking it out day by day. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for this foundation that you're laying in our hearts, in our minds, through this word that Peter wrote many years ago. These truths are still true. They still apply. And Lord, I pray that the things that we have heard today, the things that came from you, we would remember in not such a way that uh, makes it interesting things to think about, but Lord, we would remember them in such a way that we take them into our action, into our day-to-day activities, into our thinking, into our doing, and we would walk these out. And again, we can't do that except by your your grace. So Lord, we pray, and I pray, may your grace and peace be multiplied to us through the knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for his name I pray, amen. The elders talked at the retreat uh, a month ago, and we forgot last Sunday, that why don't we just put this question about the sermon part right here. So before we go to greet one another and hear other thanksgivings, does anybody have a question or a comment about something that I said? And I don't know if we need a microphone for this, Micah, or not, but anybody have a question or a comment about the sermon? It's fine if you don't, but if you do, I want to give you time to ask that or, or say that. Thank you, Brent. That was great. That was great. I completely agree. You know all the one another verses in the Bible, right? And bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. So he's exactly right. To us, to the body of Christ, you may be struggling in a way right now that someone can come along beside of you, but we need to reach out. We need to let people know uh, where we really are. When somebody says, how are you? Don't say fine if you're not fine, <laughs> Right? And it might be somebody you don't want to talk to about it. And you say fine to them and you go find Cindy and tell her. I understand that. Because um, they don't tell me very much. Uh, but that's a good word. Anybody else have a, a comment or question? Yes, Daniel. Yeah, the reason he said that too is because if they had taken that fruit, they wouldn't live forever in their sin. Right? Yeah, God has put eternity in our hearts. Thank you, Daniel. He's put eternity in our hearts, and so we do desire. That's why the things of this world don't appeal to us, because there's something better. There's something greater that we're, we're longing for. All right, let me just say this. One way we can grow is in prayer, and so the elders have decided that starting on February 25th for eight Sundays, except we'll, we'll jump over Easter and Women's Retreat weekends. We won't meet then. But for eight Sundays, we will meet and go through this book by Tim Keller called Prayer. There is a sign-up sheet that will be passed after the break. If you would like one of these books, they'll cost you $8. Church will pay the rest. Or you can get two for 15 if you'd like a copy. But I hope you will get the book, and I hope you'll come to the class starting on the 25th from 8.45 in the morning till 9.45, right before we start our normal service. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch Community Church meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information, please go to AntiochChurchNC.org.